Most folks assume that once summer is over, gardening season is complete. But there's actually a whole other world of possibilities that can help to increase your harvest and even, get this, passively improve your soil. So in today's episode, we are going to talk about some lesser known action steps that you can take in the fall to seriously impact your garden's productivity without increasing your workload too very much. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I'm Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I have helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment through an old-fashioned lifestyle. And I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. All right, this is the fall garden episode. There's a lot of good info here, and I'm going to be completely honest. For the longest time, the idea of fall gardening completely confused me. Like I would hear people talk about it and all I could think about was how short our growing season was. You know, we can get snow in the middle of September and I'm thinking, how can I plant seeds in the snow and then harvest it in the fall? It was just very confusing to me. Thankfully, I have a much better understanding of it now. But here's the deal. For the longest time, I didn't understand the power of stretching your garden seasons out. And I was very stuck in this box of the garden has to go in in the spring and it's done in the early fall and that's it. And we don't do anything else and it's over. And there's nothing wrong with that per se, but wow, if you can get a little bit creative in your thinking and do some different things and subscribe to some different philosophies around this, it's really going to impact your homestead garden drastically, not only in the amount of food you can grow, but it's going to improve your soil. It's going to set you up for success in the spring. So I am really excited to share some of the revelations I have had around this idea of fall gardening. And then in the following episode, after this one, we're going to talk about the winter garden, which gets even more magical, but lots of good stuff to cover. So here we go. Okay, so we're going to talk first about what you might grow in the fall. And the reason you might want to do that, because some of you are going, Jill, summer kicks my butt. I'm not sure I want to keep growing. And I, number one, I totally get that feeling. Been there, experienced that. And there's no shame if you're like, I'm done in August. The, you know, I have been through the garden gauntlet and I just need a break. Totally cool. But if you have a little bit of juice left, maybe, you know, you got through all the crazy summer kid activities and 4-H and sports and travel and September, you're thinking, you know, maybe my schedule's a little bit clearer. I'm going to have a little more energy to put into homestead stuff. This might be worth your time. Now, fall gardening, the, the vegetable options are slightly more limited for obvious reasons, which we'll talk about that more in a minute, but there's a lot of benefits. So, the first one that I always think of is less bugs. So a lot of times these plants are going to be in their prime after your first frost. 
depends on where you live, but you know, usually. And the bad bugs are going to be dead and gone. So those cabbage moths, all those annoying things that are eating holes in the greens and the kale and you're fighting them tooth and nail all summer, they should be dead. So you're not going to have to worry about that. The other thing I love is that some of these vegetables are just a thousand times happier when they're not in heat. Now, this is really applicable if you live in a state or a place with really hot summers. You know, with me, we I mean, we're Wyoming. It's not like we're down south. But I have a heck of a time getting spinach to grow in the summer because, like, I had this one variety. Um, I think it was called, I think it was Galilee spinach. And it was marketed as being slow to bolt. And for those of you who aren't sure what bolting is, bolting is when it starts to go to seed. And once a green starts to go to seed, it gets kind of bitter and it's not as good to eat. Anyway, I was super excited because they're like, this spinach is slow to bolt. So I got a whole bunch of it and I planted it. Lo and behold, that stuff barely got its first leaves coming out of the ground and it bolted. Like these were the teeniest baby plants you've ever seen. And they had, were bolting like crazy. And I was so irritated because I'm like, your, your marketing, you guys was a lie. But anyway, um, I'm sure it works for other people better, but it just didn't work for me. All of that to say on my spinach rabbit trail that fall gardening is cooler and a lot of these plants are much happier and you don't have to fight the constant bolting. Um, and the other thing is, is like I mentioned a minute ago, sometimes it depends on your schedule, but fall is less hectic for many of us as compared to summer. So if you are doing stuff in the fall in the garden, you might just feel a little bit more relaxed. It may be a little bit more enjoyable to be out there. All right, so the best plants, vegetables for fall gardens. Now, we're going to want to steer away from the veggies that are sensitive, right? There are some like, I'm thinking tomatoes and cucumbers and the squash and obviously the melons, things like that. You know, you've seen them likely if you've ever had a garden. One little frost, one little temperature dip, and they are toast, they're black. So those guys, we want to save them for our summer gardens. But there's this whole realm of gritty, hearty, tough vegetables that are like, go ahead, freeze, like bring it, I can handle it. And those are the ones we want to focus on. So I kind of think of them into three categories. And there are exceptions and outliers. But here's my categories for fall gardening. Anything in the cabbage family. So the brassicas, you got the broccoli and the Brussels sprouts and the cabbage, of course, and the cauliflower, like those do pretty well with a little bit of cold. They can handle it. They can hang. Um, the second category is greens, your spinach, your chard, a lot of lettuce will do it. Mosh, which is this cool plant called corn salad that I grew for the first time last year. It's tough as nails. Um, there's mustard greens. I grew Mizuna, which is like a Japanese mustard green this year. There's course, kale, there's all, and arugula, there's all kinds of greens that, believe it or not, like you wouldn't think, right? You wouldn't think a leafy green plant could handle a freeze, but a lot of them can, and they come out with flying colors. Not to mention, a lot of those guys are very susceptible to pests. Like, did I tell you that story? I think I did on a previous episode when the grasshoppers mowed through my kale and I didn't even know what it was because they had literally decimated it. I'm like, what's this green twig sticking up? And it was the poor kale. But anyway, they're very susceptible to bugs and you're not going to have to fight that in the fall. So those are good. And then the other category, which to be perfectly honest, I don't play in with these as much 
just a personal preference, but some of the root vegetables are fantastic to plant in the fall. Like think about radishes and beets. Radishes grow lightning fast, so you can stick some of those in. Beets are a little bit slower, but if we are harvesting them when they're small, they taste better that way anyway. Those can be a fall crop. Some people will grow a second crop of carrots in the fall. So all of those are great options. Now, the next piece of this puzzle, and this is the part that will catch many of you off guard, and this is why we're talking about it today, because I want you to finish listening to this episode and then go to your planner or your phone or however you track your days and your, your months, and we're going to write this down now. Because fall gardening is a bit of a misnomer because you don't actually start the fall garden in the fall. You start it in summer. And this is what gets people because in July, like 4th of July, we're not thinking about planting seeds. Most of us are like, hey, we did that. Been there, done that. It's over. And now I'm just doing weeding and gardening. I'm in the honeymoon. Remember the honeymoon episode? I'm in my garden honeymoon. But to get this fall garden off to a successful start, we have to go a little bit back into spring mode and plant some of our fall crops. Now, some of those can be directly sown into the garden, which I think more of it as that succession planting vibe where, you know, we plant a row of carrots and then we wait two weeks and we plant another row. So it's kind of in that uh, realm. But you also very likely will need to start some seeds indoors. So go back to that episode where we talked about seeds starting in the basement and we need to dust off the grow lights and get the shelves cleaned off and get ready to start some fresh seedlings wherever you start your seeds. For me, it's in my basement. For you, it may be somewhere else. Um, and so you want to count back. So you, for, the first thing you do is you find your first frost date. So we already found our last frost date for spring, but now we're going to find our first frost date for fall. For me, my first frost date on average is around September 15th. That being said, I did have, we did have a massive cold snowstorm September 8th of 2020. But on average, September 15th is anything past that, I'm getting into the danger zone for my garden. So I look at September 15th and I'm going to count back about 12 weeks, roughly. And that is when I know I need to be starting any of the cabbage family those guys need to be started in my house because they're going to germinate better when it's not blazing hot. They just like to be started indoors. So the cabbage, the broccoli, uh, the Brussels, well, Brussels spots might need a little bit longer than that. They can go into the fall, even if you plant them in the spring. But I'm going to get those guys started ahead of time. You could also start the chard um, or some of the greens inside. But honestly, those guys do better just going straight into the garden. So that's about 12 weeks before the first frost of the fall. Then about two weeks after that, did I, did I say, I'm sorry, I meant to say that that's about the end of June for me. Like I said, it's really early. Like the first of June is when I plant my whole garden and then I have to get myself back into seedling mode about a month later. So that's why you need to mark it on your planner or your calendar because it's very easy to forget this is needing to happen. And then it's, August 31st and you're like, oh my gosh, I missed, I missed the boat. And once you're to that point, it's pretty hard to play catch up on some of these bigger plants. All right. So 10 weeks 
So about two weeks later, after we start our seeds indoors, once they're coming along and they have those first few baby leaves, we can go ahead and plant the cabbage, cauliflower, whatever else we have. We can plant that into the garden. Um, and at this point, you should have your watering system figured out. You just need to have a clean bed ready to roll where they're going to be protected from the hail. You might also want to protect them from any other pests that could be coming around your garden at that time because your garden is starting to get into to swing and so it might be attracting bugs and these are going to be little babies. So keep them extra protected, but they can be transplanted out there at eh, first part of July, middle of July-ish. Now, of course, this is going to depend. I'm, I'm just giving you the actual months that fit for me, but this is going to depend on your growing zone and your frost date. But that's just, just easier for me to talk about in terms of months if I use myself as an example. Now, along this 10 weeks out from your first frost, you can also direct sow some of the other vegetables. Maybe some of the roots like the carrots and the beets, you could put another planting of radishes or lettuce in. And this is something we can kind of repeat up until August generally, because those are very fast maturing. But you can put a couple more rows of those in. Um, now, from the middle of July for me to early August, I'm going to keep on planting a few things. The spinach, maybe some mosh, which is very tough. It's very tough. Spinach and mosh are BFFs when it comes to hardiness. Uh, and then maybe a few more bits of lettuce, things like that. When we start to plant into August, you know, keep in mind, if I plant middle of August, my plants only have a month before we very easily could get a frost. So I want to make sure they have that, you know, a month's not a whole long time to get growing and germinating and all of that stuff. So I'm going to be very strategic with what I plant there. Um, because now we're going to move into the area where they have to be a little stronger. If they're still vulnerable, I could potentially cover them with plastic or with a, a row cover or a low tunnel. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But that's where I'm planting. So just to reiterate, a fall garden starts in the summer, but you get to reap the benefit throughout the fall. And the reason we have to start it early is that a lot of these plants are not going to germinate when it's cool. You know, plants need that certain soil temperature and a bit of warmth in order to germinate. So if we're sticking seeds out in the garden in October, I mean, you might get a little germination depending on where you live, but it's going to be touch and go. So we need, need them to have a strong start in the summer. And then we're basically just, once those cold months come, it's kind of like a giant refrigerator and it's just maintaining those plants and it's just keeping those plants alive because they're not going to be actively growing as much. They're just going to be hanging out, out in the garden. Hey friend, I wanted to take a quick break from this episode to talk about something that's a pretty big deal right now, the canning lid shortage. It has a whole lot of people wondering if they're even going to be able to preserve the food from their gardens this year. 2020 not only caused some major shortages with the seed industry, but it did the same for canning lids, as many of you know, and they're almost impossible to find. I actually ordered a big box of lids in May of 2020, and it still hasn't arrived. It's nowhere to be seen. And if you do happen to find some online, let's just say price gouging is real. Anyway, I have good news. I think I found a solution. I was thrilled to come across 
Harvest Guard reusable canning lids recently. Not only are they made from super tough materials that are specifically designed to be used over and over again, they're actually a fraction of the cost of what some of the disposable lids are going for right now. If you wanna check them out, I think you're gonna be super impressed. Head on over to theprairiehomestead.com slash canning lids. I'll also drop a link in the show notes. And if you place an order, be sure to use code HOMESTEAD to save 10%. Plus, shipping is always free. Now, back to our episode. Ooh, and I almost forgot, the another crop you definitely want to plant in the fall, if you're in the northern areas, northern states, is garlic. Garlic, you plant, I usually plant it... Well, the end of September, 1st of October for my zone, which is 5B, and it overwinters. So it just gets a little bit of growth popping up, and I mulch it with grass clippings, and it just hangs out. And then, just like clockwork, in the spring, they start to come up through the soil, and I water them, and it's very simple, and I get to harvest them at the end of June, early July. So make sure that you set aside some room for the garlic, and here's the important piece here put a marker where you planted it because in the spring, when I get back out there in the garden, I always forget which bed it's in. And then I have to like second guess myself and make sure I'm not going to dig it up when I'm planting other stuff. So mark the garlic, but get it in in the fall and you'll have a beautiful crop the following summer. All right. So that's the crash course in planting veggies for your fall garden. Now the alternative to this, or sometimes the companion to this, depending on your situation, can be cover crops. Now I'm not gonna go super extensively into cover crops because we have a fantastic cover crop episode. I think it's way back in episode 26. I had Parker from True Leaf Market, who happens to be the sponsor of this season. He came on and gave us a crash course in cover crops and it was fantastic. It cleared up so much confusion for me and it really helped me understand why they are so important because I always would hear about them before and I'm like, I don't really understand how these work. So go back and listen to episode 26. But just in a nutshell, a cover crop is simply a mass of plants. There's all different kinds that you can pick from and you plant it to cover your garden soil during the fall, winter and early spring. Because, as we know, nature hates bare soil. And when we get into the cycle of bare exposed soil in nature, that's when we have erosion and we lose nutrients and just it's not great. It's not great for the health of our soil. So the cover crop keeps our garden soil covered during these dormant months. But beyond just a cover, it also puts some amazing stuff back in the soil. It gives us biomass. It can help our soil not become depleted from the, like the nutrients are leaving because of the sun and the weather and the wind. Some of them can put nitrogen back in the soil and it can also suppress weeds. So they're fantastic. And potentially maybe you have some of your garden that you're planting with these fall vegetables, but other areas you may want to put cover crops in, or maybe you're have zero desire to grow vegetables in the fall because I've been there totally. And you're just like, I am over it, but I just want to make sure my garden is healthy and protected over the winter. You can either do that with mulch or you can do a cover crop. So one of the biggest 
objections I had to cover crops for years was that I always thought that I had to have them planted in the summer. Kind of like I was telling you with the, the vegetables. I'm like, well, if I have to plant cover crops in July to get good growth on them, that's not going to work because I still have tomatoes in the ground and I have cucumbers and my garden is full of life in July and I'm not going to go rip out a crop to put a cover crop in. And on my interview with Parker from True Leaf Market, he explained that's actually not how you have to do it. You can wait and plant the cover crops well after everything is harvested. And the only trick to this is to make sure they get in the soil before the first like really hard frosts. So this past year, 2020, I experimented with this and I had a couple of my garden beds that I, when we had filled them with soil, they got the brunt of the clay. And when I say clay, like this is so much clay and they've grown crops decently well in the past, depending on the crop, like they've done onions and cabbage surprisingly well with how clay heavy they are. But Every spring when I'm out there just trying to, to work up the soil to plant in, it's a nightmare. And I, I mean, usually I can dig up. And when I, when I say dig up, my beds are four by 10, I think, four by 10. And I just get up and I just, just turn it over with a shovel. So I don't have a rototiller for them. I mean, I couldn't rototill them if I wanted to because they're up off the ground and it would be super awkward. So I just get my shovel and I'm just working. And on a good bed with my, my soils with, or excuse me, my beds with good soil, I can get those guys worked up in 15 minutes. Super easy, just flipping it over and kind of loosening it up. On those clay beds, it's like two to three hours. And I'm out there sweating and cussing and like hating my life. And so I, I, they're at the back of the garden. And as I start, you know, I go the beds front to back and I get closer to the back. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Well, at least I don't have to go work out in the gym today because the beds are going to take care of the workout. Not fun. Anyway, so I decided to use rye this past year as a cover crop to start working into the soil. And I did a bunch of research and winter rye sends down really long tap roots, I believe it's the right term for that, but they have really long roots down in the soil and it can help break up clay. And it's known as being a great option for clay soils. And so I got some rye seeds from True Leaf Market and I spread them out. I believe it was middle to late September because we got our first snow in September 8th. And then I kind of had to like recover from that and get things out of the garden. And I didn't get around to planting till it was close to October, if, if not October. And I made sure I watered. I just broadcast the seeds over the top and made sure I watered it. And it started, it came up great and it got a good, I don't know, four or five inches of growth before it kind of slowed down and it's still out there. And I, I stopped watering it after a while because when it was like November, you know, the, the, the hydrants were cold and the hoses were frozen. So I stopped watering it, but it got great growth and it's just covering those beds. And I'm really curious to see once we get into spring, I know I've read some places where the rye can actually kind of pick up where it left off and it'll keep growing. And I'm depending on what it looks like, I may either use it as a living mulch and just poke holes in it and plant maybe like cabbages or something like that amongst the rye cover. Or another option is that you can just till it up, like flip it over and do it plant like that just with freshly tilled. Well, tilling is, feels like 
more than what I do. I just use my shovel, but you know what I mean? So I'm excited to see how it works. I, I know it's got to be better for that soil to have something all over the top of it though, versus just leaving it open and bare to the elements. So I will keep you posted on that, but so far, so good. And that's really the extent of, if you want to do cover crops in your garden, it doesn't have to be a raised bed like mine. You could do it on any sort of garden plot. You just want to make sure those seeds get a chance to get on the ground. You just mostly broadcast them out, rake them in and give them a nice amount of water before things get really, really cold and they should do a really nice job. All right. So we've talked about growing food in the fall. We've talked about cover crops, which is really, I, I think of it as a passive way to improve your soil because all I have to do is plant the seeds and water them a little bit. I don't have to be out there forking like new topsoil or more compost in. I'm actively building my soil and improving it. Well, actually not even actively. It's actively doing the work and I'm just sitting in the house watching it grow. So I feel like it's a great way to boost your soil health. And then the other piece of this fall garden activity is saving seeds, which is a fantastic option this year, especially since the seed industry is so volatile. And I think it's a great option anyway, because isn't that really the goal of homesteading eventually, at least to close the loop? You know, how can we be more sustainable? How can we create that cycle where we don't have to constantly have outputs, but we can be a closed loop? Not that outputs are bad necessarily by default, they aren't, but sometimes it's cool to see how sustainable we can become and saving seeds is a part of that. Um, here's the deal with seed saving. People ask me about this a lot. You know, I've dabbled with it in the past for homesteading, really with anything in my life, you have to prioritize, right? And so I, I will actively prioritize the things that are most crucial <laughs> to my goals or what we want to create here on the homestead or what we want to grow. And honestly, seed saving has fallen towards the middle or the lower portion of that list for the past couple of years. Um, not because it's hard necessarily, but it, sometimes it's just one other step. And this might be a higher priority for you. So it's completely up to you to decide how you want that to look. But for me, honestly, in the past, I've opted to buy most of my seeds. Um, that being said, there are a number of vegetables that are really easy to save seeds from. So this might make sense for you. And some of those would be tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, squash, uh, melons, peas, and beans. They're all pretty simple. Like you see the seed, you harvest the seed, you'd make sure it's dry and you stick it in an envelope and put it in your refrigerator till next year. Pretty simple. Um, the trick with seed saving, with even these simple vegetables, is you have to let the plants mature before you save the seeds. And this is what I think a lot of people don't realize, um, is that if you're also wanting to eat the vegetables, or you have a small harvest and you want to maximize it, you're going to have to leave some of those bits of fruit or vegetable on the plant, let it almost go bad or what we think of as bad before you're able to harvest it. And you often can't eat the, the fruit as well. You have to just like give it to the chickens. Uh, cucumbers are a great example of this. 
the little green cute cucumbers that we all know and love for pickling or even the ones we use for slicing, the seeds are not mature enough usually to save. So you have to leave some cucumbers on the vine and let them get ginormous and bloated and yellow. <laughs> and once they get to that point, then you can pick it and save those seeds. You usually want to gut the cucumber, drain, like wash the seeds with water because they're covered in that and like film all the guts of the cucumber. Got to get all that out of there, dry it, and then you can save it which is okay. Sometimes we have so much of a certain vegetable that it's okay to leave some out in the garden. Like for honestly, for cucumbers, I can't avoid that. No matter how hard I try, they hide from me and they turn into yellow baseball bats every stinking year. But with other vegetables, you know, like the tomatoes, sometimes my tomatoes aren't really matured enough before the frost comes and kills the plant. So I'm picking my tomatoes green and a green tomato is not going to give you seeds that will be able to be planted. So just different things to consider. Obviously the squash are pretty easy to save. You know, if you have a beautiful pie pumpkin, you need to get the seeds out anyway, just save some of those seeds for planting. Now, uh, there are some plants that are quite an ordeal to save seeds from. And this might be, I, feel, I think this is kind of like homesteading level five <laughs> versus homesteading level one. For example, cabbage, things in a cabbage family, they are biennials. And so you will not get seeds that you can save the first year. It takes two years to do that. So you have to either leave the cabbage in the ground over the winter, if you live in a mild climate, or if you live in a place like I do, that won't work. It will, the cabbage will die when it's like 29 below like it's supposed to be this week. So you're supposed to pull the cabbage plant out of the ground winterize it in a safe, cool place like a root cellar, and then replant it the following year. That is not something I am quite equipped to do at this point. So to buy a package of cabbage, cabbage seeds from a good seed company doesn't give me any heartburn. You get to decide what, how that works for you. I will say a book that has is a fantastic resource. It's so good that I got it from the library and then I went and bought my own copy. He has everything you need to know about saving seeds, the simple way, and even the more complicated methods. It's called The Complete Guide to Saving Seeds by Robert, it's either, I think it's Goff, G-O-U-G-H, Robert Goff. Super good color pictures, highly recommended. I think that this is something I'm going to start playing with more this year and in the years to come, but up to this point, been one of those things that trickled down on the list just a little bit. So no shame either way. You get to decide what works for you. And I also just don't mind supporting these awesome seed companies in the process while I'm figuring out all the ins and outs of seed saving. Whew, that was a doozy of an episode. We covered a lot of ground. So I'm going to let you guys go before I make your brains explode. Um, what's our takeaway for this episode? I just think that a fall garden gives us a chance to expand what we think is possible, right? For me, it's been a huge learning curve <laughs> and a learning adventure in figuring out what I can do here in Wyoming. Um, and also, just to reiterate, there's no shame. Sometimes we get to the end of the garden season and we're tired and we're just like needing that break. And there have been many years when I feel like I barely crawl into the finish line in September, like 
bloody and bruised from the garden that year and like the ups and downs and fighting the pests and fighting the hail. And sometimes I just want to be over it and I'm not going to shame you for that. So you guys get to decide what works, but as you grow in your homesteading knowledge, know that there's a whole lot that can be done in the fall that I think will make your gardens more productive and more enjoyable. So it's worth at least tucking away for later. Now, our next episode, we are going to talk about the mysterious winter garden, the thing of legends where you hear about people that are growing citrus in greenhouses and people that are growing tomatoes in February. And we're going to talk about how that all breaks down and how that can work for you in your situation, because this stumped me forever and it still intrigues me to this day. And we're just now starting to figure out how some of these things work. So super excited for next episode. So come back to listen in. In the meantime, if you want to stay connected with me, the best place to do that is probably on Instagram. You can look up at the Prairie Homestead. I'm over there. I post kind of more personal stuff, what we're doing. You'll see some pictures of the stuff I talk about here on the podcast. Or if you're ditching social media entirely, you can join me on my email community. And you, how can you subscribe to that? I think the easiest way for you to get on that free list, I only email once a week, so I'm not going to like flood you with stuff. Go to theprairiehomestead.com slash layout. And you'll not only get my free guide for how to set up your homestead, how to lay it out, but it'll also put you on the email crew. And there we go. That's all I have for you today. Thank you for listening along. I hope this episode was helpful and we will chat again on the next episode of the old fashioned on purpose podcast.